great to see everybody. We love you all, absolutely. And we're never, ever intentionally hurt anybody here. I just want to say that to you. We love, we love you. We care about you. We talk of you. We, we want to spend our life with you. Now, uh, yeah, now, that sounds like love, right? Yeah, we, we do. We want to do that, and we want to spend eternity with you. That's how it looks. And so anything on the way, let's just walk through this thing. I may, I, maybe I said that because I'm going to share this morning uh, uh, the second message, um, uh, actually the, the third message on Anamus, but it is, it is the, the second uh, chapter that I'll be doing. The, se- the first was the seventh chapter, and I want to de- delve into the eighth chapter of Amos. I didn't come to this place because I just wanted a message to preach but I really try to listen to the Holy Spirit as much as is possible, try to spend as much time as I can in God's presence. And so I, I want to do that, okay? I want you to know that. Now, I think the, the message that our that sister read today, uh, Sister Jadira Yulig read today, I think is part and parcel of this message. And these things are coming not because I'm influenced by something other than the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, I wanted to just share that I thought she did a superb and masterful job of communicating the writing and, of course, my heart. And I don't, I don't claim that I'm going to do as masterful a job as I look at this, this page today. But I'm looking at uh, Amos, the prophet Amos. Amos um, uh, was a, a, a sheep breeder. He was a tender of sycamore fig uh, trees or fruit, and uh, that was his job. And God called him, similarly to God calling uh, a young, ruddy, uh, ruddy, red-faced, red-headed boy from following sheep. God just picked him up and called him. And there, there are many of you, God called you from wherever you were doing, whatever you were doing, maybe you were just a a housewife, and you were enjoying it, and God called you. Maybe you were working in some occupation, and God just picked you up and called you. Uh, that's what God does. And in Amos chapter 8, we'll start to read. We're going to take care of all 14 verses. Uh, I, I entitled this message, Vision of the Summer Fruit. Vision of the Summer Fruit. And this is Amos's fourth vision. He, the, the first vision, uh, the second vision, the first vision was of locusts. The second vision was of basically a drought, a, a fire that destroyed all of the under the aquifer uh, water and uh, then uh, the plumb line. And now he saw a vision of summer fruit. God is talking to Israel, and I believe that he is still talking to his people through, the, through these Old Testament prophets. This is amazing how God how they are relevant today. It's not just that this is a history lesson, but this is relevant and it's going on today. Now, when the Lord always calls me to preach something, I don't have sometimes a clue that it's going on right now until I'm, I get into it. And I was looking at this and I thought, oh my God, how amazing you are. Amos 8 chapter, 8th chapter, verse 1 says, Thus the Lord showed me, behold, a basket of summer fruit, and he said, Amos, what do you see? And notice he keeps asking him, what does he see? For all of us here, God is not looking for information. I mean, he's not saying, tell me so that I will know. So God is asking him, what do you see? And he said, 
Uh, so I said, a basket of summer fruit or a basket of ripe fruit is what he's saying. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. In other words, he said, what did you see? He says, I see ripe fruit. He says, okay, the time is ripe. That's what God is saying. It's, it's ripe for I will not pass by them anymore. The time is ripe. I will not. And so I asked the question, since the Lord uh, placed this upon my heart so heavily that I should share this particular message, I must ask the question, is 2020 a ripe time? Is, is 2020 a ripe time for God to do something with his people first? We've said this for a number of years, that God must deal with his people first. Uh, the Bible says that judgment begins where? At the house of God. So a judgment begins at the house of God. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, we'll look at Ezekiel chapter 20 for a moment, uh, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord speaks because he's, he is going to judge Israel. He says, I will not pass by them anymore. I will not relent. I will not give them another opportunity. I have done everything. I sent locusts. I sent natural disasters. I sent locusts. I sent fire. I, I even came with a plumb line, and I dealt with them. They've not repented no matter how difficult things have gotten. Does it remind you of anything? It should remind you of the times in which we live. But in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 31, he says, As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired by, of by you. I will not be inquired of by you. As I live, I will not be. And you will not sit down, do your own thing, and then pray to me, and I give you what you need. That's what he's saying. Well, I will not be acquired by you. What you have in your mind shall never be, says this people. What you have in your mind shall never be. They wanted to be like everybody else and still have God. He said, what you have in your mind will never be. I will not let that happen. This it remind you, I don't know what kind of a parent you had, but it reminds me of my daddy. Yeah, really, it reminds me of my father who would say, son, I don't know what you're thinking today, but that won't happen. And so, so we have to look at these scriptures. It's so amazing. Also, we'll, I'd like to refer back to Amos chapter 7, verse 8. Amos chapter 7, verse 8. Where, where Amos says, uh, records the words of God. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? Now notice God is continually asking, what do you see? I find that today, people that, that I know who are at least churchgoers don't see what I see. They, they're seeing, but they're, they're not really seeing what I'm seeing. They're saying, but it's not what I'm saying. It's not what I believe that after much time with God, I'm not saying I'm infallible. Please don't misunderstand. I am not saying I'm infallible. You can ask my wife that. I am not infallible. But I'm not seeing what so many are seeing and so many of the Internet prophets are seeing, even, even uh, well-known church leaders are seeing. I'm not preaching what they're preaching. And I ask myself why. I don't ask my, I don't say, oh, I'm, I'm the great guy, so it's okay. No, I don't. I ask God. Help me to never lead anybody astray. Help me to preach your gospel. And so here in Amos chapter 7, verse 8, he says, and the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. 
Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. This refrain continues to, to, to come, this refrain, this repeated expression. Uh, uh, he says, I will not pass by them anymore. I will not be inquired by them anymore. I will not pass by them anymore. What is God saying to our generation? We must ask ourselves the question. We must ask ourselves the question. And then he says, in verse 3, let's go back to Amos 8, verse 3. Uh, I wanted to give you Ezekiel 20 and Amos 7 to, sh to bring this into context because context determines meaning. We have to understand what God is saying. Uh, I know that we are living in the end days, but sometimes we think the end days are just, oh, happy-go-lucky times, but it's a time of judgment. Verse 3 of Amos 8 says, and the songs of the temple. Now, now remember, he says, I'm not, your ripe fruit and it's plucking time. I'm going to pick you. I will not pass by you anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere. They shall be turned, thrown out in silence. Now, what does that say to us? What, what does that look like to us? It looks like 2020 to me. He's saying, that, he's saying that all the wonderful songs, you know, we want to, oh, we want something light, you know, you that? we want something light. I mean, let's sing something light. Let's sing da-da-da-da-da and just be happy as though nothing is wrong, as though we have not offended the holiness of God. He says, the songs in your church, as it were, shall be wailing in that day. It, uh, it reminded me, and I didn't want to do it because I don't have enough time, but I wanted to give you some, I wanted to recite some old slave songs to you. So they were always sad. Weren't they sad? And how God was going to come. You know, swing low, sweet chariot. You know that one? Mm -hmm. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home. Get me out of this mess. Yeah. Amazing, all those old songs. I didn't intend to sing them. He says, wailing. Those old songs were, were sad songs. They, they were sad songs. They, they were moving songs, but they were sad songs. And he says, God is saying to Israel, your songs are not going to be joyous. They're going to be wailing. And they're going to be dead bodies everywhere. They shall be thrown out in silence. And I'm thinking about COVID-19 at this moment. I'm thinking about the coronavirus. And even in one of our, our cities in Texas, El Paso, Texas, we've seen it in New York. And somebody said, oh, that's to New York. But we've seen it now in El Paso where they're bringing in refrigerated trucks because the bodies are too numerous. And their people are dying in silence and they're throwing out. We must ask ourselves, what is it we are doing or what is it we are not doing? And so he looked at the summer fruit, and I think that what God is saying is it's time to pluck. And I've asked the Lord, give us another opportunity. Give us a bit more time to do your work. Do, give us a bit more time. See, I gave you the, the story about when my dad was, would, would give us assignments going home. I think my younger brother Elliot probably never had any of these, these threats. <laughs> he probably avoided them, you know. 
<laughs> but dad would say, okay, do this and this and this uh, before I get home. And then we just forget all about what dad said until we saw the car coming. Oh, my God. And we would run and try to get it, but it was too late. And there's another song we used to sing, don't let it be said, too late, too late. Don't let it be said, too late, too late. Remember that one? They sing it better than I did. But, but that's, that's what we don't want. Believers, I want you to hear me. I'm not this morbid, drab person. Oh, I wanted to just be, have something light. I wanted ice cream. I wanted sherbet. No, this is the meat of the Word of God. So what he says is that this is a time, and, and as I said, I've been praying, Lord, give us another opportunity, especially here in America. Give us a, another opportunity. Give us another opportunity around the world. But I'm speaking now for America and my own nation. Now let's look at verse 4 because he's talking about what he has seen and what he does not like. And when I saw this, I thought, this is going on all the time, uh, the next several verses. In verse 4 he says, hear this. You who swallow up the needy. You see, God's, God is really concerned about the poor. I, I know we, we, we've gotten, even at the church, the church doesn't grasp that anymore. Uh, that is the church goers because I'm not saying Christians, but the church goers don't understand us. And the church goers are the ones who have the microphones. They're the ones who, who are, have the loudest voice out here. And they are saying the same things as the world. But God has always been concerned about the poor. He says to those who have crops and lands, he says, I don't want you to, to scrape everything up. I want you to leave something for the poor. When you harvest your crops, leave something for the poor. But we now think the poor are the problem. I hear it in the church. I'm just saying. I'm not saying I heard you say it, but I've heard it in the church world. That, that, that now they, look, they take the world's refrain and they repeat it. Now the church is the problem. And now our our philosophy is that, okay, the, the poor are the problem. They won't work. That's not always the case. I was a part of the working poor when I was a kid. We worked hard. I told you, I worked hard for 30 cents an hour. And that, no, I shouldn't have been getting 30 cents an hour. should have been get, getting at least 40. <laughs> yes, but we were working poor. We worked hard all day. You worked up, sun up. Sundown. You know what I'm talking about if, you were, if you're as old as I am. And so, but now the poor are the problem. And he says, he says, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, you cause them to fail. You who have, you, you cause these people to be have-nots. Yeah, I know there's a type of ignorance in, in a lot of us because we think if we work hard, we'll get ahead. And sometimes that's not the case. I, I, I am who I am and where I am by the grace of God. I've always had a, a good job. As a little boy, I worked hard, worked for 30 cents an hour, hauled hay too big for me to lift, but I found a way to lift it. I'm telling you, I did, found a way to lift it and, and did, did those kinds of things. And God smiled on me. And all of my life, I've been gainfully employed. This is amazing how God will do this thing. But God just lifted me up. I, I didn't lift myself up by my own bootstraps. God lifted me up. And so God is looking at us. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. Let me hurry. You who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, 
When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain? When will church, let's get out of church so we can go back to our business. When, uh, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat. We, we've got to get back to business. We've got to make sure that the economy is everything we want it to be. Make, now listen to what he says. Making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat. And, and ephah, and ephah, or ephah, was about three-fifths of a bushel or 22 liters. A shekel was about two-fifths ounce of, of money. And so what they would do was they would cheat. They would cheat the poor people. Right now, one of the biggest industries, one of the biggest industries in our country is uh, ex- exploitation of the poor. Amen. With, with the car title loans, with, with the rent, to, rent your furniture, it, it, I think it, uh, the last count I had, it's got to be increased, but it was over $70 billion a year exploiting poor. That's what they were doing here. Come on, reverse market, that's another one, yes, sir. Hallelujah, somebody. And so what I'm saying is that, that we can take the words of Amos the prophet, we can take the words of Amos the prophet and bring them right here today in 2020. And they are, if they were relevant then, they're relevant now. So what am I saying? I'm just saying that the church, we have to do more than sing songs, go home, eat food. Are you with me? I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and listen to what he says. Now, what they did was they cheated. And then they, they, the part of the grain that they should have uh, discarded, they found a way to sell it. And he says, look, they're, and they're, they're buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Isn't that something? Now listen to verse 7. The Lord is sworn by the pride of Jacob. So God is saying, by the sovereign Lord, he is, he is, he is sworn by himself. Surely I will never forget any of their, their works or their deeds. I will never forget their deeds. Now notice what God is saying. God is saying something that we need to hear. We all need to hear that because sometimes believers think, well, uh, I will escape because I'm not doing those things. But no, you won't escape. You know that the righteous are dying and the unrighteous are dying from COVID. Are you with me? So, so what am I saying? We have a responsibility before God to, to live godly. That's what I'm saying. He says, I will not forget any of their deeds. Shall the land not tremble f- for this? And everyone mourn who dwells in it, everyone. All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. And so what he's saying is, this thing will happen. It will happen. Now, I think when I read this, I go, God, this is too amazing. This is actually a bit scary. I remember, I I tell you the story a lot, but my youngest granddaughter, when she was about four years old, she came in one day and she said, Mom, Mom, God is scary. And so we were laughing about it, and I said, the baby told the truth. God is scary sometimes. Sometimes God is just so scary. And so what he's saying is that the land is going to tremble because of the violence and because of the sin. And this is what he's saying to Amos, and this is what he says to us. Let's look at verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. So what God is saying is I'm going to bring judgment. You know, in the middle of our prosperity, we will suddenly find it vanished. That's what he's saying. 
Do you say, well, do you want that? No, I'm just preaching. Now, don't, before you get mad at me, remember Amaziah in chapter 7, how he attacked Amos and told him, go preach in, in Judah. Stop preaching over here in Bethel. Get yourself out of here. If you, you're doing that for hire. Go eat your bread over there. And, and, and uh, boy, they got a big rebuke from God. All right. All right. So he says, uh, verse 10 says, I will turn your feasts into mourning. Not M-O-R-N-I-N-G, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. So I will turn your feast into wailing. What am I saying, believers? I'm saying it is very possible and likely that we have not gone be to the, beyond the point of no return. We've not gone there yet. I think we've been on the precipice of it. And now you say, well, Pastor, why would you say that? I'm just saying that after many days of spending time with the Lord is all I'm saying. You know, I had no agenda, no, no hidden agenda, but just spending time with the Lord and then enjoying God's presence. And I think that we may have averted it, and uh, we'll, we'll know in, the, in a few days, we'll know in the days to come whether God is giving us a respite, a little time off, a little break before he brings on the judgment. Now, don't ever get angry with God for bringing on the judgment. His holiness demands it. Now, this is what he says. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. He's talking about judgment, so they're shaving their heads and throwing ashes all over them and wearing sackcloth. And what he's saying, that's a sign of mourning. Now, notice what that happened. God has sent various natural disasters, but they would not listen. God has spanked them, but they didn't heed him. And so now he's saying, no, I'm not going to relent. I'm going to deal with you. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and it's in like a bitter day. So what God says, this is how bad it's going to be. You're going to wail and cry and lament like somebody who lost the only son. You know what that means? That's, that's an amazing picture, isn't it? This is what he's saying. You just got one son, and now you've been cut off. That means that, that your, your, your future, all the future and the hope was on that son, carrying on the family legacy, doing great things, but now he's finished. He says, that's what it's going to be like. This is an amazing story. I, I, I don't want this to be, you, this is earth third in the morning here. <laughs> I, I don't want it to be too, too heavy for you, but I do want to speak the truth, all right? Would you let me just speak the truth? <laughs> yeah. And its end is going to be like a bitter day. You know, maybe it could very well be that you, you just lost your only son and, and all your hope is lost. You're too old, you know, now. And, you know, your, your wife's too old. You're too old. And you're not going to have an Abrahamic experience. And, uh, and then at the end of weeping and crying, you then die. So this is what God is showing us. And in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 I will pour on the house of David. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, I will pour on the house of David um, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced on, the, on Jesus. Yes, they will mourn for him as, as one mourns for his only son. And I said, wow. So they're going to cry out. So I just brought that in to say that there is a time coming on the earth when uh, the Jewish 
though the remnant of Israel will do this, they will cry as though one cried for an only son. And they will wail and wail because they will recognize they missed the time of their visitation. They missed the time of the, of the Lord. And he says, you will see me no more until you learn to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will see me no more. He came to them. He came to them in power. He came doing things that nobody had ever done before. And they still rejected him and they hung him on a tree. And he says, you won't see me anymore until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm just saying this is a time of this judgment. So we as believers have to be sober. Sober. Are we good? Uh, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to skip a little bit. Let me talk, go to my next point. A, a famine of the word of God. This is um, mm, just a minute. This is, I believe, uh, yeah, verse 11. Let me read it, and then I, I, I don't want to read it all, but I'm going to just give you a little uh, snippet of it because I don't, want, I don't want my words to be the last word. I want God's word to be the last word. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I've heard that since I was a boy. Many of you have heard that for many years. And I, I've heard that, and that preachers used to preach that. And I didn't, I knew it stuck in my heart. You, you ever had something that would just stick in your heart, but you, you didn't understand it? You just stuck in your heart? <laughs> you know? I mean, that, that's how God deals with me. And he says, but, uh, but of hearing the word of the Lord. So there's a, be a famine, not of bread, not of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. I want to go quickly back to uh, what I want to share with you. Um, it's a famine of the word of God. It's something that happened to me personally um, about 1992. I think that's 28 years ago. 1992, I had a, a dream. I'm not a dreamer. It may seem like I'm a dreamer because I've told you several dreams, but maybe five dreams or less that I, in my whole life that I could give you less than five dreams um, because I just don't remember. I know I dreamed last night, but I don't know what I, I, rem I don't remember it. But in September of 1992, I had a dream uh, that I've uh, not been able to put out of my mind. It started in our home. The dream did. My wife was cooking a meal and the aroma filled the house. And I can even almost smell it 28 years later. She was cooking and she was in the kitchen and I was watching her. And my mom, my, my mom, my wife is an excellent cook. You know, she knows, she just knows how to do things. And sometimes when I do meals, she'll come in and help me. And she's the one who gets me over the hump, by the way. If you're eating any of my food, she got me over the hump. You know, it was my plan, but she had some purpose. So she was, she was cooking, the aroma filled the house. Then I looked out of our large picture window, and I, I could look through the kitchen, through the, the parlor, through the dining room, and I, and I could see out, uh, out there that there were people in tattered clothing wandering in the street as in a stupor aimlessly while we were thoroughly satisfied in our home, even during a dearth or a famine. Suddenly, the dream changed locations. We were all worshiping here at this fellowship. There was food being prepared. It, it was the same as in our home. I don't know, but there was this a wonderful aroma. This food was being uh, prepared. The aroma was so amazing. The aroma of the food filled the building. And then I looked through our east foyer. As I just looked out, I could see through the walls. 
in the dream, and I looked throughout each foyer, and there were people outside in the parking lot in tattered, tattered clothing, wandering as in a stupor aimlessly while we were thoroughly satisfied even in the midst of what seemed to be a dearth, a famine in America. I had a third dream like the other two, but for 28 years I could not bring it into clear focus. I could not really remember. But recently, as a matter of fact, days ago, as I reflected on this unforgettable dream, it was made clear why I could not bring, uh, bring the third dream into a mental focus because the time had not come for its revealing. The third dream was concerning the Fellowship International, TFI. TFI was not in existence in 1992, uh, but the same aroma uh, that was in our home at CCCF was now in other places where TFI uh, served. I've spoken of this dream for 28 years, knowing it was from God, and now in 2020, because it is time, its full meaning has now been made known to me. We were living in a famine in that, in that dream. We were living in a famine. The people who were outside groping, searching aimlessly could not find God. I thought they could not find at the time food. They could not find God for they had long rejected him. The satisfaction that my family and I enjoyed and the unforgettable aroma of Christ was also here at CCCF where, thoroughly, where we were thoroughly satisfied even in famine because this is what God revealed to me just a day or so ago because of our Christ-centeredness. Christ himself was a satisfying uh, aroma of food at this fellowship, T uh, TFI, and my family. It, w it was Christ. It wasn't the food. It was a natural food. I, for years, I thought it was natural food, but it was, it was the flavor, the fragrance of Jesus Christ. I think that if we're not there yet in Amos chapter 8, if we're not there yet, we're very close to being there, perhaps we can change that. Perhaps we can change that. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. No, no, imitate. You know what I'm saying? Mimic. Uh, uh, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So it's the aroma of Christ. The aroma of Christ is his sacrificial life uh, walked out in you, in me, in the believer. So when we walk it out, that's where the, that amazing smell comes from. It's that aroma of Christ. So there's an aroma of Christ in my home. There's an aroma of Christ here. There's an aroma of Christ even in the Fellowship International all over the world. Amen. But outside, go ahead and give the Lord a hand. <clears throat> but outside, they were in a stupor. Remember, Amos said that there would be a famine. What? Of the Word of God. The, the words that God speak, that people would, they were disobeyed him so long. Now that they saw that the things were really horrible, they were seeking him but could not find him. That's what Amos is saying. And that's what I'm saying. I believe that we are there. You know, by the way, you know what happened to the Old Testament prophets? A lot of them, right? They killed them. You'll be careful here. All right. All right, don't, don't hurt me. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, he writes, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now notice what he says, to not the church goer, to the believer. He always leads us, what, in triumph, in victory, in Christ. Hallelujah. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. And so what he's saying is that those of us who walk, there's a fragrance. I love air fresheners. Y'all may not like them, but I love them. I love air fresheners. I like to walk into a place and go, hmm. Mm, I love that. And what God is saying is that the, the fragrance of Christ is now, the aroma of Christ is here. He told me that in 1992, and I see it. I, my brothers and sisters from around the world, men, men and women of God, great men and women of God, have come and said, Pastor Don, something is here. I'm not saying we're the only place, so don't go out with that, that foul attitude. I am not saying that. And never have I said that. But I'm saying it's here. That's what I am saying. So let me, let me conclude my message by going back to uh, Amos 8:11. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God. So this happened in ancient Israel. It's happening again because I always say to people, and this is how you can read when you read the Bible, you read it where really there's only one interpretation of the Bible that's how I looked at it. I'll take it literally. But there, I've noticed that there is a natural interpretation. Well, what I'm saying is there was an interpretation that happened in history, real time. It's not allegory. Happened in real time, and then it happened to a people, and now it's happening again to the spiritual people of God. And, and, and so we have to understand that. Now, notice what he says. The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander like in my dream. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 3.15, he says, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That's what I've endeavored to be. Charlie Thorne, when he first came to this church, he, he gave me the scripture, Jeremiah 3.15. He says, this is how I see you. I didn't see myself that way. He said, this is how I see you. And he spoke those words, and it came into my heart. Hallelujah. So how then is there a famine of God's word if... If God gives you shepherds, pastors after his own heart will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Second Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 3 in the ESV. Chapter, I will read it from the ESV. He says, for the, the English Standard Version, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander, there he goes again, off into myths. God, we are living in that day, brothers and sisters. Don't be at ease in Zion. Don't think everything is cool. Just because you may have a good 401k or nice bank account. Hey, all that could be wiped away. Like, pow. It could be gone. But we have a greater mission. Let's don't be guilty of mission drift. 
Let's keep the kingdom of God. Remember the man, hey, Jesus, Jesus said, come follow me. He says, let me go back and, and bury my dead daddy, my dad. Let, let me go to dad dies, and when dad dies, I'll do it. Let me go to retirement, and when retirement, after retirement, I'll do it. He said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go preach the kingdom of God. And I'm saying to you, regardless, I know you have jobs and you have occupations, and that's a great thing. That's not a, what I'm saying. I'm not against that. Do those things, but then you preach the gospel. That's our job, is to preach the gospel, not to do these other things that the church is doing out there or the church goers. Well, let me close. In that day, the fair virgins, the day when there's this famine, the fair virgins, the fair virgin, that is the lo lovely young women. I look at my granddaughters, I say, oh, they're so lovely. I pray God, I want you to give them good husbands. I want you to give them husbands who love you more than them, but to take care of them. Give them good husbands. I pray that. He said, but there's going to come a day when the, the, the lovely young women and strong young men shall faint from thirst. Those who look really good, but they don't know God, you're going to see them for who they are. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Bathsheba lives, and this is what, they said, what, what he's saying, those who have laid hold of that which is not the Lord, that which is not Jesus Christ. They've laid hold of that. I hear so many crazy things from, people, from churchgoers, not Christians. I don't call them Christians anymore. They're churchgoers. I hear the craziest things. I hear those things that have captured their imaginations. They're not Jesus Christ. They're here trying to hold up the world system. It's epidemic. Well, and so this is what they were doing. They were swearing by what was not God. Can you imagine God's people? As your God lives, Dan, there's idols. As the way of Beersheba lives. Beersheba was in the south, in the Negev, in the south of Israel. And from, from the Negev or Beersheba to the very north, Dan, they started worshiping idols. I see it, but now it's not necessarily something we make with our hands. It's economy and money. Do I want there to be a good economy? Absolutely. <laughs> Do we need a good economy? Absolutely. But I don't worship it. I worship Jesus Christ. Now, in the English, he says, they shall fall and never rise again. I was looking at my Reina Valera. He says, he ends by saying, Los juicios de Jehová. Los juicios de Jehová son ineludibles. Isn't that powerful? Los juicios de Jehová son ineludibles. Ineludibles. You know what that means? The judgments of God, of Jehovah God, are inescapable. You cannot elude them. You cannot avoid them. You cannot escape by speed, trickery, or cleverness. They are inescapable. May I read that one more time in Espanol? Los vicios de Jehová son ineludibles. Inescapable. I want to pray. Lord, bless this house.
Thank you in Jesus' name.